Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. Welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. I am joined again today by my co-host Chris Jennings, and we also welcome back into the show our special guest, Dr. Mark Lindberg, professor of wildlife ecology at the Institute of Arctic Biology at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And Mark, I will say that is a pretty cool name for uh, for a place to work, the Institute of Arctic Biology. Thanks for having. Thanks for finding the time to get back with us. You bet. Yeah, it is a pretty cool place to work. Yeah, and so what we're going to do today on, on this episode is follow up from where we left off last time. The previous episode that we recorded with you highlighted the importance of waterfowl hunters in collecting data that we as, as waterfowl managers across North America use for a variety of purposes, uh, ensuring that uh, that we're managing waterfowl populations appropriately. Uh, we we talked a great deal about the importance of of that data collection, the importance of, of hunters playing their part and collecting reliable information for us to use in, in a lot of that decision-making. And so we wanted to pick up this time uh, talking a little bit more about that uh, and using banding, uh, band reporting as an example, that's that's one of the uh, data collection methods by hunters uh, that that will be most familiar. And many hunters will have had their own encounter and had their with a band and had the opportunity to report that. So uh, we were talking a little bit uh, before this about some changes that occurred with the uh, with the method of reporting uh, a few decades ago. So why don't we pick up there and let you talk a little bit about how that when that happened and uh, how that that created a, a bit of a change in uh, in this interaction between hunters and the uh, and their role for reporting this information. Yeah, sure. I, I think it's been only in the last couple of decades that we've really started to understand and and appreciate how valuable the information is we get from hunters and how important that is in our decision process. And so it's only been in the last couple of decades that we started to solicit return of, of banded birds that hunters have harvested. Um, again, prior to that, just a really cryptic message about writing Washington, D.C. We went to an 800 phone number reporting and now to online reporting and the, the reporting rates have doubled, and I think um, we're starting to recognize that educating hunters about the value of that information is so important in increasing the amount and the quality of data that we get from them. Um, that banding information is used in a number of ways. It tells us about how birds are distributed, their migration patterns, and importantly for harvest regulations, uh, how well they survive. So from band return information, we can tell survival rates of those birds um, through the year. You know, hunters are paying for this program through the Pittman-Robertson Act. So, um, you know, that's something that, you know, hunters should, why would, why would you not want to participate in a program that you're already paying for? Um, should be something that hunters keep in mind for sure. And And to do so... To do so in the best manner possible. Uh, going forward, uh, and we hear it all the time about how state agencies, federal agencies, are facing uh, shrinking budgets, and increasingly, if anything, 
our reliance on data collected by uh, by citizens, by waterfowl hunters in this conversation, is going to increase, and so it becomes even more imperative that the information that we are uh, that we're receiving. Uh, from those individuals um, is is reliable and that we're re- getting all the information possible because uh, and mark this is where your background in uh, in in mathematics quantitative ecology can really help us understand some of that you know the more information we get the greater the confidence we have in the information and the estimates that we're that we're deriving from from them uh, and that really is important when are when we're making decisions about how to manage uh, manage wildlife populations so uh, so we'll probably get into that a little bit. I think we wanted to talk about Brant uh, as a specific case of the importance of banding data. And so, Mark, why don't you kick us off here and tell us a little bit about Brant and some of the work that you've that you've done in this regard. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've worked on black Brant, the Pacific Coast species, and I got started in 1990 when I worked on them for started working on them for my Ph.D. Uh, research at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, um, where I'm now employed amazing birds by far my favorite goose species and one of my favorite waterfowl species but they breed in the coastal subarctic arctic regions of alaska into western uh, arctic of canada up into russia and then in the fall they most of the population the entire population of a couple hundred thousand birds stage largely at eisenbeck national wildlife refuge um, near cold bay alaska on the tip of the alaska peninsula um, there they they um, they store uh, fat and nutrients for migration, and some of them take a nonstop migration from Eisenbeck to uh, Baja, Mexico, and some what is it um, 55 hours or so of, of continuous flight at, at estimated rates of 90 kilometers an hour. So um, mm. wow. that's, that's quite a feat. Um, more and more of those birds are staying there through the winter now. Um, some estimates as high as 60% of the population are now spending the winter in Alaska um, for a variety of reasons. And then they all trickle back in the spring, uh, not a nonstop migration, but they move back onto the breeding grounds and do it all over again. If you've watched Brant in flight, it's just, they're spectacular. I've watched them many years on the breeding grounds chasing galls away from their nest in an aerial pursuit and actually mid-flight reaching out and biting the gall um, to drive them away. They're, they're incredible in flight. You know, Brant are a particularly interesting population or species and uh, of, of waterfowl for us to have a conversation about the importance of reliable reporting of data because so many individuals, such a high percentage of that population is banded. Um, and so that gives us an opportunity to talk about something that, uh, that, that I think is, we see references to this occasionally in social media. I think you made, some, made a post a few weeks ago that has received a, a fair bit of attention. And it's the, it, it's, uh, it provides a great example of the intersection of the role that hunters play in reporting the data and, and then potential consequences for a, a certain population of birds. And so this issue is something that's often referred to as band targeting. And I know it's something that you've thought a little bit about. You've posted on it and offered some comments on it. So we wanted to use that as an example to explore this issue of reliability of data and how, uh, how that sort of manifests in some uncertainty and, and ultimately how it influences our decision-making. So 
Tell us a little bit about this concept of band targeting. What is it? How widespread is it? What do we what do we need to know about it? Yeah, so a little bit more background on background on Brandt, just to orient us here. We've been banning Brandt in in big numbers, I guess, since 1984. I now lead one of the projects that has a focus on that effort. And we mark Brandt with metal leg bands, which most duck hunters are familiar with. And we also put a, a visible tarsal tag on the other leg, a plastic tag that has a three-character code on it. Those metal bands are not that visible, but the tarsal tags can be. Um, and people look for them and target them through practices like uh, landing birds, it's roughly called. So a hunter might um, watch a flock as it decoys in, wait till they extend their leg, and then try to target the bird that has a visible marker on its leg. That, in turn, results in more banded birds being harvested than normally would be. Now, when you say no, when you say normally would be, you're you mean sort of by random chance alone if they hadn't seen that band to begin with, right? That's right. Yeah, and that's so statistically, that's kind of what we're that's that's the way we expect things to operate. We expect these birds to be harvested irrespective of whether they they have a band. Exactly, and I I don't think hunters fully appreciate that the mark sample of birds that we make conclusions about the rest of the population from is a small fraction of the total population. So any given year, we mark about one to 2% of the brand in the total population. So less than 5% of the total population is actually marked. And we use that, that sample to make conclusions about the other 95% of the birds. And so if we have targeting or other practices that bias that data on the marked sample, it has a huge effect on our ability to reliably make good decisions about that population as a whole. How did that, how did that data show itself like to, to get you to be alarmed that people could potentially be targeting these banded birds? Is that, is that something that you saw a spike in the information that was provided or were you seeing a certain percentage of a higher percentage of banded birds being reported i mean what, what kind of triggered this to be a concern and i, and I asked just as a hunter who I've, I've hunted a lot of ducks i've hunted a lot of geese i've never really been with anyone who's you know who's targeted bands so i'm just you know i'm just kind of concerned as to where or curious as to where that concern popped up to you yeah there's been a number of reports to us about uh individuals doing that um, and and targeting intentionally. So we were getting word of that from uh, some reliable sources. And then in the data itself, we've seen declines in the survival rate. The main thing we estimate from those bands is how well the individuals survive, the population survives. For young brands, in the last couple of decades, their survival rate has gone from about 60% to 30% a year. Even more concern is we've seen some declines in adult female survival, and they're the ones, you know, producing the eggs and the young, and so they're really important. The declines have been much more modest than them, but um, there's still declines in the last couple of decades, about 10%. So those signals 
um, both the reports of people targeting and the data showing some declines alarmed us. And we, at this stage, can't tell how much of that decline may be attributable to banned targeting. We don't know. Well, you could do some pretty simple math to figure out that you don't need to shoot very many more bands through targeting to have a negative effect on that survival rate estimate. Again, I think what hunters don't appreciate is how small a fraction of the population is actually marked and therefore how, how little you have to change the number of birds that are shot, marked birds that are shot, to have a big effect on that data. Is that the same with, with Brant is that only 5% of the total population is banded or is that, was that just kind of an overall estimate? Yeah, that's a rough estimate. Like I said, we mark one to 2% per year. And then those birds, you know, some of them will live uh, 20 plus years, not most of them. So year after year, we accumulate uh, birds in the population that are marked. But again, for that year, that cohort, we call it, we're only basing conclusions on their survival based on one or two percent of the population. So we're talking about a couple thousand birds. Now, has there been any thought to uh, modifying that that tarsal band from like a bright color to, you know, something that's a little less visible to kind of deter this action? Yeah, that's a fair question. You know, so we look for those bands in subsequent years after we mark them. And we gather data by reading those codes of those bands, not harvesting them in subsequent summers. So having a visible band is helpful for us because we're looking at them through cameras and spotting scopes to gather that information. Also, the um, it allows us to get that information without handling the bird. We don't have to catch it again. So there's a lot of value in having those tags out there but there is some merit to what you say, and we need to do our part as well to not put a target on the back of those birds, if you will. And, and there's discussions about what colors we should be using. That said, uh, I'm, my appeal to hunters is, again, back to the, the first episode on citizen scientists, if, we, if hunters appreciate why band targeting isn't a good idea and how we need that reliable information, I hope they'll make the decision not to target bands, regardless of the color. So that's that's my appeal. That's my hope that if we empower hunters with this knowledge, they'll make the right decision. Going back a little bit here, you mentioned that you'd seen survival rates, I think, of, of the young birds go from 60% to 30% in some instances. And presumably with this idea of band targeting, you don't know if that decline in survival is a result of actual declines or if it could be band targeting and then those bands being reported. Is that a correct way of understanding that? That's a correct way of understanding it. Yeah, for sure. Um, we certainly don't think all that decline is the result of band targeting. We don't think that for a minute. But we are concerned about um, that influencing those results. And, and we're starting analysis now that will allow us to tease that out. We can we can figure out how much of that decline is the result of targeting, and, and that analysis is getting underway. Yeah, again, the appeal to hunters is right now what we know is survival rates decline. We know that. And so we're starting to think about ways to manage that species to improve that survival rate. And if we don't have reliable information, we might put that energy to things that aren't as important as we thought. 
So again, it's not helping the brand, um, the target brand, target bands. Now, just from the reporting data, which I'm sure, you know, Hunter shoots a brand that's banded, you know, they're going to majority as per the science, 75% are going to call it in. Um, is there a way to be able to see, you know, are they shooting them there in Alaska and, you know, specifically maybe targeting more often, or is it more in Baja? You know, the, those are basically the two places that they're really hunted heavily. Is that, am I mistaken there? No, that's correct. And, and we do have some information from reporting that helps us understand where that targeting might be occurring. But again, some percentage of hunters, 25 or more, aren't reporting their bands. And so we're a little bit in dark about that. And some hunters have the thought that, boy, if I don't report, a targeted band, I don't influence the data. And that's not true. We just, what happens is we just have less information. And so we're less certain about how much band targeting may or may not be going on. So I know some people have proposed that as a strategy. I discourage it. Um, if you target bands, not illegal. I don't suggest you do it, but please report your band. We need to have that information. Yeah, Mark, you went exactly where I was, where my mind was going. I could imagine some listeners saying, "Well, I'm just going to, uh, I just won't report my band. That way, I'm not going to artificially lower that that survival rate." Uh, but there's two parts of any estimate that we use in survival, and that's the the accuracy of the estimate, and that's the precision of the estimate. The precision comes from those reports, and the the more reports we have, the higher the uh, the greater the precision. Uh, the more certain we are in that estimate and the greater the confidence that we can have that that estimate is a true reflection of what's going on in the population. And when we have that information, when we have confidence in it, we can make better decisions. Uh, is that, uh, am I also seeing that correctly? Yeah, very much so. You know, the analogy I like to use is to appeal to hunters is you go out and sight in your rifle for the hunting season and you could shoot uh, one round, maybe three, or you could shoot 20. And if you shoot 20, you're going to be a lot more confident about the accuracy of that rifle than you would be if you shot fewer than that. And it's the exact same way. We're much more confident about what we know about brand survival, particularly if we have a lot of reports versus very few. And so it, it's, it's important to have the most precise information we can to make the best decisions. Every every wildlife student has been taught the difference between accuracy and precision using that analogy, and I was actually sketching this out uh, in advance of, of our discussion here. And, you know, as I think about that, if I'm sighting in my rifle, I, I would rather have an inaccurate rifle, but it be highly precise, than I would rather have an accurate rifle and it be imprecise. Because if it's imprecise, I'm less certain where that thing is going to impact whenever I squeeze the trigger. So is that, uh, is that kind of the way you teach it as well, Mark? Yeah, very much so. That's funny you bring it up. I put, put that on the board with various scenarios of how your rifle is shooting accurate or biased and precise and so forth. And I asked the students, which rifle would you most like to have to take with you hunting? And it's, as you said, well, the one you want is the one that is not biased and precise. But the second would be um, a little bit off bullseye bias but very precise because you at least know um how it's shooting then so yes very much so 
Now, I appreciate you guys sitting here talking about the the mathematics, the science aspect of it. I'm I'm over here sitting here thinking about how we can uh, we could scan Instagram to figure out who's shooting the, the black brand in the Pacific Flyway. Because you know those guys are not you know you know they're posting it on Instagram in either way because they're so proud of their their brand band. So we can we can figure out a way to eliminate that 25 percent that's not being reported in some way, shape, or form. That's uh, But I guess that, that's how my mind works a little bit over here. But I'm sure that's a terrible idea from a science perspective, but that for some reason that's what popped into my head. I'll let you take the lead on that, Chris. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take the lead on to <laughs> the, the Instagram, Dad. I'll, I'll do that. I'll handle that. I don't want to single anybody out. And, and, you know, anybody that shoots a band of birds should be proud of it and, you know, should seek out the information about that bird. I would think you'd want to know where it was banded and how long it's lived and so forth. Um, so I, I don't want anybody to come away from this discussion thinking, geez, I shouldn't even shoot banded birds. Um, that's not the case at all. Just recognize that if you do target them, the, the information becomes unreliable. Yeah, no. And I think that, you know, that's one thing that I wanted to get across as well is that, you know, we're not telling people to not shoot banded birds. I mean, that's, you know, in the last episode, we were just discussing how important it is for, you know, hunters to play that role of citizen science and, and provide, you know, that information, to, you know, for, for the science teams to, to be able to, to have and, and make decisions from. And I think, you know, that's a very important thing to point out is we're, we're certainly not discouraging people. It's just you don't want to specifically target these birds because then that can skew the data. Definitely. Yeah, and, and I appeal to hunters to um... – well, police their ranks, if you will. When I was growing up in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Game Commission had a program called Sport. Sportsmen policing our ranks together. And I'm not encouraging anybody to be aggressive towards someone who might be targeting, but spread the word, you know, let them know that, hey, that might not be in the best interest of, of reliable information. And, you know, we need to be good citizen scientists. So I hope people will, will spread the word and let people know what the consequences of that might be. Yeah, and if any uh, aspect of the population has been good about kind of policing their own resource over the the decades, it's definitely been waterfowl hunters. So, I mean, that's that's a good point to make as well. We uh, on this uh, on this podcast here work as waterfowl biologists work in the waterfowl conservation field. Uh, but when we hunt, when we go out as hunters, we're all the same. We're just like everybody else. We're out there and we have a responsibility to uh, to collect data, quite frankly, the data that we uh, that we have an opportunity to collect, we have a responsibility to do so as reliably as possible. We've talked earlier about the importance of that information. It's only going to increase in the face of shrinking budgets, and so we just encourage uh, everyone to uh, to do their part in in helping us manage the resource responsibly with good information. So, uh, Chris, any final words from you? Uh, you know, I just want to add. You know, and and Mark has touched on this, and and yourself is that you know we're not trying to discourage anyone from shooting a band. I mean, if you you're uh, you know hunting this December or even now um, in northern states, you're hunting and and uh, a mallard comes in cupped up, you notice that there's a band on that bird. I mean, hey, pull the trigger. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the the aspect, and it's also extremely important um, for hunters to know that waterfowl managers, waterfowl scientists, they don't get that data 
unless you do pull the trigger and you and you do harvest that that band. Of course, you have to report, report it. Report that band, um, which is extremely important. But I just want people to know that we're not discouraging people from That's shooting right. bands. We're we're discouraging people from really targeting flocks and targeting specific birds that are banded rather than you know just a normal casual hunting scenario and how much more exciting is that casual hunting experience when you actually get that band than when you're doing something sort of deceitful if you will absolutely yeah or artificial Mm -hmm. so just not right well mark uh, we also want to give you an opportunity for a few final words and and life lessons for us Uh, so uh, thank you again for joining us any final words for the show I just I just wanted people to know that I I get it. I mean I I early in my hunting career and in my professional career I targeted bands. I'll freely admit it. I remember 1988, a neck collared Canada goose decoying in, and me noticing the tag and saying, "Boy, I want that one." And you know I didn't understand the consequences of it then, and I I do now, and I hope hunters recognize the potential consequences as well. But we need your help. This is going to only happen if you talk to your friends, your hunting partners, and let them know, hey, um, you know, that might not be such a good idea. And um, so I hope hope you'll continue to do that and we'll get more reliable information. We need hunters. We need hunter information and we need it to be reliable. So hope... Um, Hope that continues in the future. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. Sure. Report your band. (laughs) So on behalf of my co-host, Chris Jennings, I want to thank our special guest, Dr. Mark Lindbergh, for joining us again and sharing his time and his expertise. Uh, As always, we thank our fabulous producer, Clay Baird, who makes us all sound wonderful. And thanks to each of you, the listeners, the most important part of this endeavor. Thanks for your time and your passion and your commitment to waterfowl and wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.